Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends of Christ, I wonder how long are you willing to wait? I realize I've asked the question before, but it is particularly relevant for the events of today, for Pentecost. Back in college, there were rules, right? For a teaching assistant, you had to wait for five minutes past the posted time in the class. For an assistant and an associate professor, you, they got 15 or, and 30, respectively. But for a tenured prof, even if he showed up with only two minutes left, you were responsible for whatever he had to say. Of course, that was moons ago. I suspect our waiting times are getting shorter and shorter. Mark Batterson laments that those of us who grew up with the card catalog system, yeah, you remember that, we harbor a little resentment for those who have never had to search by subject or author or title. We marvel at the internet's capacity to put knowledge at our fingertips. It's just one click away. Processor speed was the single most critical factor in my recent search for a new computer. And that's base speed, not the inflated peak numbers, theoretical capacity that's never realized. But still, seconds waiting for a program to load just plain bothersome. So I ask, what was it like waiting for Pentecost? In Luke 24, we're told, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. After a couple of days, a week, I suspect that the ardor of waiting had lost its edge. Ultimately, the level of anticipation is connected to the promised itself and the one who made the promise. And Pentecost was a day of promise. Our gospel lesson includes two of the four promises of the Spirit that Jesus gives in the upper room to the disciples. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit will bear witness about me, Jesus declares. And also, verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In his small called articles, Luther writes, Now this is the thunderbolt of God, by means of which he destroys both the open sinner and the false saint, and allows no one to be right, but drives the whole lot of them into terror and despair. We often overlook this alien work of the Spirit, yet without the Spirit's prompting, we would not know what sin is, or that we cannot free ourselves from this sinful condition as we confessed earlier. Yet God kills to make alive. Remember not the former things, the prophet Isaiah wrote. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Paul writes to the Corinthians. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Pentecost is also a day of promise in the sense of fulfillment. Fulfillment of the Old Testament feast of Pentecost that we celebrated, that was celebrated at the same time that Israel stood in front of Mount Sinai. We read about it in Leviticus 23. During the week of unleavened bread, which starts with the Passover, the priest waved the first sheaf of the barley harvest. Forty-nine days later, the day of weeks completed the season, the 50th day, hence our word Pentecost. I realize that's a lot of Old Testament ritual that we don't totally grasp 
all the time or even some of the times. But listen to how John Kleinig explains it. Just as Christ established the new Passover, so Christ by his resurrection on the day of the elevation of the first sheath became the first fruits of the new creation, God's harvest of holy people for himself. At Pentecost, God the Father poured out the Holy Spirit on the disciples of Christ. He did not give them the blessing of a bountiful harvest from the land, but conveyed the first fruits of the Spirit to them as his priests through the risen Lord Jesus. Close quote. Pentecost did indeed become a worldwide harvest of holy people, people made holy in Christ by the power of the Spirit. But this day of promise can come in some mighty inconceivable forms. A valley of dry bones and the people's lament. Our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. But God's answer? Prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to the breath. This incredible apocalyptic vision of bones and sinew and flesh and then the breath of life. That's creation imagery, right? God got down in the dirt and made man and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. But the vision becomes an Easter text in the resurrection. It becomes the promise of resurrection, your resurrection and mine. How long will you wait? Without end. Because of the surety of the promise we behold in the resurrected and ascended Christ. We'll come again this morning in bread and wine, his body and blood given for you as he promised. Pentecost truly is a day of promise because it is a day of power. The sounds and tongues and sweet wine, but especially the word. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God, the people declared. And the excitement of the day drew an international crowd, the devout, the curious, and the scoffer. But notice Peter's ready reply. This is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. The power of the Spirit is foundational to our confessions. From the large catechism, neither you nor I could ever know anything about Christ or believe in him unless and receive him as Lord unless they were offered to us and bestowed on our hearts through the preaching of the gospel by the Holy Spirit. In this section of his large catechism, Luther stresses location and means and purpose. He locates the work of the Spirit in the church with a capital C, which he calls the Spirit's unique community. The Spirit's means he identifies as the holy sacraments and absolution, as well as the comforting words of the gospel and as purpose, forgiveness of sins, all of which he summarizes. This, then, is the office of the work of the Holy Spirit to begin and daily increase holiness on earth through these two means, the Christian church and the forgiveness of sins. It's a day of power that each of us has experienced and each of us continues to enjoy. In baptism, you are mine, the Father declares. In absolution, you are forgiven, the Son gives us his grace. In sanctification, you are my people, the Spirit declares. By the power of the Spirit. But we dare not go it alone. A danger that's illustrated in the classic French film, Jean de la Florette. Jean just inherited a plot of land. 
But the townspeople in the small village in Provence wanted the land. They didn't want him to have it. And the land didn't get a lot of rain. So they went onto the land and they plugged up the only stream that existed. They cemented it close and covered it with dirt. Jean doesn't know anything about this stream, but he knows about a spring that's about two kilometers away. And initially he makes progress, but eventually dragging water that distance becomes a brack-breaking experience. Sadly, he never discovers that he already has an inexhaustible supply of water underground, but nearby. We have the power of the Spirit gifted to each of us, an inexhaustible supply that dwells within us. As Pieper describes it, justification affects the mysterious indwelling of the Holy Spirit and of the whole Trinity in believers. By the hearing of faith, the believers receive the Holy Spirit, Galatians 3. Therefore, Christians are called the temple of the Holy Spirit and the temple of God, not only according to their souls, but also according to their bodies. Close quote. There is no more waiting, in one sense, because Pentecost is a day of presence. It's evidence in the miraculous of the day, the sight and sound and signs and speech. How is it that we hear each of us in his own birth dialect, the people wanted to know? And then there's the miracle of Peter's speech, Peter's sermon. The disciple, who only seemed to take his foot out of his mouth to put the other one in, without apparently a moment's hesitation, quotes the prophet Joel. Rightly dividing scripture, connecting the Old Testament to the new reality in Jesus Christ. And then there's the exponential expansion of the reign and rule of God in a single day from 120 to over 3,000. The day of, Pente day of presence is also evident, though, in the mundane of everyday life. This assembly gathered around the gifts of God, the word of absolution, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, lives forgiven. Words of scripture read in our hearing. The word proclaimed even now and soon the word of the sacrament given and shed for you. But the spirit is also in the everyday lives of those he made holy. Forgiving one another. Comforting the sick. Writing a check to cover the past due bills of a difficult circumstance. Speaking loving words into hostile quarters. The church is a lot like the Ephachalaya River. I think I got that right. <laughs> it's a 137-mile distributary of the Mississippi River. It meanders through south-central Louisiana and empties into the Gulf of Mexico. It's a significant source of income for the region because of the many industrial and commercial opportunities it offers. Yet, as scenic and productive and enriching as the river is, it owes all of its strength, all of it, to the mighty Mississippi. You see, because a distributary doesn't have any water of its own, it is an overflowing of something else. When the Mississippi is high, the Apachalea is high. When the Mississippi is low, the Apachalea is low. So also the church. Anything of value, anything that she accomplishes, is always tied to the source, to the Father and the Son through the conduit of the Spirit. So we wait. The waiting for Pentecost is over, and it has just begun. Pentecost is a day of promise. How long were you willing to wait is tied to the promise. 
So here again, the promise. It's not mine or Peter's or even Joel's who first wrote it down. It's the promise of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Eternally saved. What an awesome promise. And Pentecost is a day of power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Jesus tells the twelve. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's not our power from within, but through us to the world. And Pentecost is a day of presence. An interesting thing about waiting. According to Richard Larson, an MIT operations researcher, the length of our wait is not as important as what we're doing while we wait. So let us be joyfully about the Father's business. Jesus told the twelve, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. And to that end, God sends his Spirit with salvation for all people. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.